Nine. Okay, settle down. Nine. Take it easy. Nine. What the scallop? I'm a goofy goober! Ooh. Hey, dear. A fine Minnesotan howdy doody to all of my fellow goobers out there. My name is Zach Clint, and welcome to the Fantasy Football Goobers episode number Niner Niner on a fine Wednesday afternoon. On tap for today's episode is that we're going to be going over players I am finding myself staying away from in every way possible during drafts this coming season. What I can say is that if you're a Dante Pettis or an Amari Cooper truther, you might want to be changing that channel, or keep it tuned in actually so I can show you the error of your ways. Whether it be because of my own personal disbelief in a player, or what's mainly the case in a lot of these different guys, is draft cost. I just don't think any of these players are going to be finding their way onto my roster for redraft leagues this year. So, yeah, you got that to look forward to if you decide to keep on listening in. But, before we cross those rivers and through those woods to Grandmother's house, we got our first full weekend of preseason games and the news that follows to get through. Don't worry, I'm not diving headfirst into each and every preseason game, as that would be a full episode in and of itself. I'll just pick out some of the low-hanging fruit that's sitting out there as of now that I want to make sure all of you goobers out there are aware of. So, let's begin. The first bit of news is going to be revolving around Tony Pollard, running back of the Dallas Cowboys. As of writing this episode, the Cowboys have yet to sign Ezekiel Elliott and are looking like they will be playing the waiting game into the season. How far into the regular season that goes is up to personal dance interpretation on your part. I'll put the over-under at two and a half games, as I think that even if this holdout goes into the NFL season, Jerry Jones will be the one to cave in first and pay the man by week two. Either way, if Zeke ends up missing time, it looks like Tony Pollard is going to be the guy to own in his absence. The fourth-round rookie has been steadily building the hype train throughout the offseason by sharing reps with Darius Jackson and ended up taking first-team snaps in the Cowboys' first preseason game against the 49ers this past weekend. After the first drive, he headed to the sidelines and didn't get any more work, which should be an inkling to everyone out there that the Cowboys saw enough and are locking him in into that starting role if Zeke were to miss time. Jerry Jones has also thrown his hat behind Pollard, saying that he's capable of carrying the full workload if Zeke is still down in Cabo, parking it up. Hopefully, you're having your draft within the next week because I could see Pollard's draft price relatively skyrocketing to around that $10 price range, from the current $1 to $3 tag that he's got on him. In my personal home league, we have it so that you can add and drop players only on Wednesday each week until week two of the preseason is over, since we drafted quite early in the season. And last week, one of my buddies added Pollard for free on Tuesday evening because during the draft, I screwed up like the goober I am and didn't add an extra bench spot to his roster. Now, technically, since he didn't have a full roster and had one free pickup at the time, Essentially, I had to allow it, which was a pretty big poo-poo pity party for me on Tuesday night, considering I had the plan of smacking that ad button as soon as the clocks turned to 12 a.m. Wednesday morning. In all, what I'm trying to say is that if you grab Zeke, who isn't coming at much of a discount currently, and is still kind of hovering around that $55 range in $200 budget leagues, you should be grabbing Pollard as well, as he's essentially free to stash at the end of your bench, even if you don't have Zeke, Pollard's a great add and can serve as that James Conner-esque player that fills in a solid two weeks and could be sold at an absolute premium if you decide to tilt. Next bit of news is going to be about the Arizona Cardinals and the hype that's surrounding their offense. 
Kyler Murray is looking the part in Arizona, and boy, he could be joining the Mahomes, Baker, Watson, quarterback youth. They'll be taking the NFL into this next generation. Lawad, forgive me for the massive earth-shattering statements I'm throwing on this guy just from seeing him for like only three minutes in preseason football, but Murray was almost perfect going 6-for-7 for 44 yards on his only drive of the night against the Chargers. Again, not necessarily looking at the stat line, but just watching the tape, Murray seems to have that it factor that Josh Rosen showed nothing of last season for the Cardinals. Throwing on the tape for the first preseason game, and you can already tell that this offense is markedly improved from last season. Kyler is rolling out of the pocket, lots of spread looks, quick hit routes for athletic receivers, and getting the ball to David Johnson in space. Folks, my pants are currently off and cannot be located in Arizona, and it ain't just because of that 100 plus degree heat that would wither away my Minnesotan soul. If this offense is anything like what I'm starting to picture in my mind, David Johnson is going to be potentially climbing to my fourth running back spot ahead of Ezekiel Elliott if he continues to hold out. David Johnson and Zeke are both absolute workhorses and will easily average north of 20 touches per game. Last season, DJ saw roughly 19 total touches a game, and that number should increase if he gets his targets back up to even 20 targets closer to what he had back in 2016. Last year, Johnson only saw 76 targets compared to the 120 he had two seasons ago. Even though he had a modest 10 total touchdowns last year, what didn't kick his season into overdrive like fantasy owners had hoped was the reception totals coupled with the inefficiencies on the ground for David Johnson. Also, I'm finding myself in on Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald as high to mid wide receiver twos. I'm seeing Kirk in drafts as a solid $10 flex option, and Larry Legend should be finding himself even cheaper during drafts. All in all, I'm loving that Arizona Cardinals offense, and I'm looking forward to it bouncing back in a major way for 2019. Hopefully, that offensive line can stay healthy and hold up for a full year because the shiny Infinity Stones are there. The Cardinals just need that base and the gauntlet to set their plans in motion. Heading down to the land of the Hoosiers, reports out of Indy are that Andrew Luck is starting to progress from that cap injury and has been showing up to all Colts practices in limited capacity with a red jersey on. Word on the streets is that Luck will start actually participating quite soon if all continues to progress. Good news for everyone in Hoosier Nation and those that are trying to buy into that Colts offense for fantasy this season. Touched on it just a teensy bit last episode when I was speaking the praises of Paris Campbell, but if Luck isn't fully 100%, the Colts' aspirations and dreams will fall apart quicker than the Nova Corps did in Avengers Affinity War. Sorry, I just got all this Marvel on my mind. I've been binging the whole entire series, so bear with me with all these different references. Um, but cha, this whole offense and hype surrounding Ebron, Hilton, Campbell, and Mack is all banking on the fact that number 12 is taking the snaps and not Jacoby Brissett. Not that Brissett isn't a good backup quarterback, but I'm not locking T.Y. Hilton or Marlon Mack in as my wide receiver or running back one or two if the fallen hair to Tom Brady is tossing the rock. I'm not uncovering new aspects of quantum physics here, but it's looking like the speed bumps that could be holding some owners back from investing in the Colts' offensive weapons should be disappearing within the next uh, one to two weeks, hopefully. Final bit of news that I'll be going over is that Theo Riddick suffered a shoulder sprain over the weekend and will be out for six to eight weeks. So if you're panicking about him leeching even more of Lindsay's targets, you can take a deep breath. I never thought Riddick would take any relevance away from Lindsay outside of Royce Freeman, so this is more of an alert to those of you thinking that it was going to be a full-on RBBC in Denver. 
Actually, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Antonio Brown situation. Honestly, the worst part about the early football season is the amount of stupid news that comes out. Antonio Brown must have seen the Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott news and thought, uh, hey, I might as well add the fantasy football owner's plight as well. On top of the frostbitten tootsie toes, Brown got into one of the dumbest arguments I think in NFL history as he threatened retirement if he couldn't wear his old helmet. For the fans that were once saying that the Oakland Raiders fleeced the Pittsburgh Steelers in their trade for AB, maybe you want to rethink those statements. I'm pretty sure the Steelers fans and brass at the moment are all breathing a sigh of relief that AB is someone else's problem now. Antonio Brown lost his litigation case trying to strong arm his way into wearing said helmet and has since posted an Instagram picture with the caption hinting that he will be ready for week one once his piggies warm back up. He was a diva in Pittsburgh and now he's a diva in Oakland and will fit nicely into the Las Vegas Strip once the Raiders leave town. He was also a top three wide receiver in Pittsburgh and I'm quite positive that with the sheer amount of volume that he'll see in the Bay Area, hedging my bets a little bit, he'll be at least a top eight wide receiver if he plays and should be more than worth that 40 plus dollar price tag, especially in PPR formats for auction leagues. Just in Jared Cook alone, there's 101 targets freed up between last year and this year, and add in the fact that there's a cast of nobodies catching balls behind him, sorry Jordy Nelson, um, I'd venture to say that AB is a lock for his typical 150 plus target haul. I'm just thankful owners don't have to worry about Brown threatening retirement anymore. At least for now. So, that'll do it for the news, and as with every episode, I need to take some time to promote myself, because if I don't... Who will, not I'm saying? As we head into draft season, you are inevitably going to be looking for fresh and spicy rankings. And I'm here today to guide you to our website at www.fantasyfootballgoobers.com where you can find free $200 budget 10 to 12 team auction redraft rankings with tiers. These rankings are updated weekly and I use them in my own drafts. And if that's not good enough for you, I don't know what is. I keep saying that next episode we'll open the mailbag, and I'm here again to tell you that we'll be doing that next episode. Again, please don't hate me. Keep on sending your questions in if you got them, though, to our Twitter page, at FantasyGoobers, and I'll try to make sure that I answer every single one of them. Next up is that we got a formal merchandise lineup on Teespring.com. Head on over to that website and get decked out in some goober gear. Half of all purchases and donations this season will be donated straight to the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. We're trying to do some good with the platform we got, so I appreciate any and all help with our mission. Finally, remember to like and subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. If you want to leave us a nice review, cool. If you want to bash me for terrible takes, I'll inform you that you wouldn't be the first. And that's fine as well. As they say, any kind of engagement is good engagement. Well. No, that's over. Let's get into the main section. First player up is Damian Williams, running back of the Kansas City Chiefs. Again, with all these players, they are guys that I just don't see ending up on my roster. Where I value these players is just a bit too low compared to the consensus, so the prices I'm willing to pay will more than likely not match up with the value someone else is willing to pay in my own redraft leagues. While I think Damian Williams is going to be good this coming year, I don't think he's lasting the full 16 games in that starting role for the Kansas City Chiefs. He'll probably get off to a hot start in the first three to four weeks, but as the weeks wear on, I could easily see any of the backs behind him in the depth chart start to leach more and more carries and targets. 
I don't know what's in the water in Kansas City as I have family down in Missouri, but my lawud, it seems like everybody that takes snaps at the running back position for the Chiefs can do no wrong. The other D. Williams in that backfield, Darrell is probably getting the most solid drumbeat from training camp of the other three backs as he's been sharing first team reps with Carlos Hyde as Damian Williams has sat out this last week with a hamstring injury. If there's one thing you don't want your running back to be suffering from this early in the season, it's a hamstring. Damien has since come back, but still look for it to potentially reoccur as the season creeps up on us here. However, probably the most hyped player from the preseason week one action was Darwin Thompson, the Chiefs' sixth round rookie out of Utah State. Along with Mikkel Hardman, who showed out in his own right, Darwin looked fast and ended up taking a reception to the house from 29 yards out against the Bengals in preseason week one. It was against the Bengals' twos and threes, but still, it's an eye-opener. Thompson is a 6-foot, 200-pound back and is typed out as a Tyreek Cohen kind of satellite back, but I'd be interested to see if he develops as an all-around back as the NFL season matures. One of the things that Damian Williams on paper seems to guarantee is that he can and will catch passes, but if those start to get taken away by Darwin, I'd start to press the panic button. The fantasy footballer's Jason Moore made a very good and true point that Damian Williams does a lot of things eh, okay, which is why he's currently the de facto starter as it stands, while the rest of the Chiefs' backfield is really good at only individual aspects of the running back position. At this point, Carlos Hyde is a three-down runner only, Darrell Williams is more of a runner as well and maybe a little bit of ability to catch passes, and Darwin Thompson fully specializes more in the passing game. If you're buying into Damian Williams, I'll buy or beware you that you're buying into a four-game sample size of pretty good but not elite fantasy performances. The last four weeks of the season, once Kareem Hunt was out of the picture, Damian posted games of 17, 27.3, 21.5, and 12.4 fantasy points. To show some love to the believers, I'll also mention the 25-point game he technically had against the Colts in the playoffs. All of those numbers aren't bad numbers by any stretch of the imagination, but they don't compare to the 30-plus point bangers Kareem Hunt put up as the lead guy for the Chiefs and what you'd expect from a back in the most explosive offense in the NFL. If you give me the over-under of 13.5 games started for the Chiefs in 2019, I'll smash that under every time. Again, I don't mind Damien, but I'm not looking to spend 40 plus dollars on a guy I'd probably be locking as my RB1A or B, depending on league settings, who won't reach the finish line with me at the end of the year. Maybe you get Williams and flip him for someone after week 3, but I'm not as willing to take that risk. It's not that I don't think Damien Williams can do it, I just think that there are guys behind him, or potentially even beside him at this point, considering Andy Reid's most recent comments on being impressed with Carlos Hyde and Darrell Williams in camp, who can do that job as well. I'd rather spend $1-$3 on Darrell Williams or Darwin Thompson as lottery picks for an RB1 than spend $40-plus on a guy I'm certain will start getting shaky around Week 6 or Week 8. I'd also rather have Leonard Fournette, on Johnson, and James Conner who are going at or around Williamson's price and should be locked into a secure every down role for the respective offenses. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Next up, how about another running back in Le'Veon Bell of the New York Jets? Disclaimer, I was originally almost on the hype train for Bell, but have since cooled my... Jets. Yes, pun intended there. Um, what might have spooked me off? Well, let me tell ya. 
The Jets' offensive line is coming off of a bottom six performance, according to Pro Football Focus in 2018, and is projected to be right back at the bottom six in the league, according to the huddle. They did add Kalechi Osamele to their left guard position, who is a two-time former All-Pro, but he did struggle a little last season in Oakland, which forced the Raiders to not want to pay the premium price on him in free agency here. If you're thinking Bell and his running style, which is very patient and relies on a, at least competent offensive line to be extremely effective, like what he had in Pittsburgh, is going to be a lock for a $40 to $45 top eight back that he's currently getting priced at, I think you'd be mistaken. I do also have an issue with him taking a year away from the game. This isn't spite for him forcing me to flip him before week one of last year after all this will-he-won't-he-sign conundrum, but just general concern that not playing for a season could be a hurdle to get back to into the swing of things. He might have been working out and ripping on jet skis, but that's not a comparable substitute for the beating an NFL season puts on a player. Throw in the fact that Adam Gase is now the head coach in the land of New York, New York, and have to take a second glance. Let's not forget the blatant disregard Gase had for not getting Kenyon Drake the ball last year when he was and should have been the better back in that Miami backfield. Admittedly, Bell is a better and more established back, but don't forget the whole hoopla that Gase originally wasn't on board to sign Bell to be his feature back in this offense. You might be saying, well, they paid him, so yeah, they will use him, but as the fantasy football goobers again pointed out, the Jets signed Ty Montgomery after they signed Le'Veon Bell, which is quite interesting in my opinion. It's no secret that Bell is coming in to be a pass catcher and all-around back for the New York Jets, but for whatever reason, they saw Ty Montgomery in the free agent pool and thought, eh, might as well add him too. I'm not saying that this is all a guarantee to happen, but the running back position in New York is starting to need a second glance from many people in the industry, I think. Outside of Le'Veon Bell and Ty Montgomery, who actually just got hurt yesterday, so kind of keep your eyes open for that situation, you also have Elijah McGuire, Below Plowell, and maybe even Trenton Cannon if he sneaks onto the roster after the preseason. Now, none of these guys are all down backs like Bell, but in order to protect their investment, maybe Adam Gase looks behind Bell in certain situations, as all of them are at least competent enough to tote the rock. The Jets' offense as a whole should see an increase in production as at the end of last season and so far this preseason, Sam Darnold has shown to be a dude. However, I'm just worried that Bell isn't the one and only guy getting considerable usage on the eastern seaboard, added in the fact of his potential inefficiencies coming from a poor offensive line. I wouldn't go into the season with Bell as my number one back. I'd rather have him as my RB2, but I'd still be ready to tilt off him if the ship starts to sink early in the season. So, buyer beware. Our next stay away guy is doing his dealings on the complete opposite side of the country from Le'Veon Bell. It's Brandon Cooks of the Los Angeles Rams, wide receiver. He didn't bumble and stumble his way into this list because he's necessarily a bad player, as the guy has been a thousand yard receiver the last three seasons all with different teams but more because of my personal preference of the other two wide receivers in Los Angeles in Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Cooks kinda has the label as a boom-bust guy, which I don't really fully see. Um, last year, along with the rest of the Rams offense, he did disappear towards the end of the season, but he really only laid a stinker twice in the first 11 games of 2018. He's not like an Amari Cooper who will murk your team every other game, uh, but don't worry, we'll crack that egg open in a sec. Um, though through the first 11 weeks, when you would have been playing Cooks each and every week as your wide receiver 2 or flex, unless you got cute somewhere in there, 
He was the wide receiver 10 overall on the season through those first 11 weeks in PPR settings. Where the hesitation starts to come in is if you add in the final five games of the season, his 18.4 per game uh, average drops to 16.4, which is a fair amount, but on the whole season isn't the worst thing ever. The main reason I don't like Cooks this year is because the draft cost it'll take to get him is probably right around where his ceiling is at a low-end wide receiver one. Cooper Cup is on track to return week one from his ACL because I guess he's some sort of biological freak, and even still, right now, Cup can be had for $10 or less in auction drafts. Cup was the overall wide receiver two before he got injured in week six of last year, and you're telling me that I can get him at half the price of Brandon Cooks? Easy choice for me right there. Throw in the fact that Robert Woods is going at about the same price as Brandon Cooks and is just a slightly better option because of his more consistent play, I'd rather have that boy on my team. Woods really only pooped on your team two times in PPR settings, which was weeks 1 and 17, so not that bad at all in the end. He had two other 9-point games elsewhere during the season, but those really won't kill you if the rest of your team lives up to expectations. Where Brandon Cooks died off in the final five weeks, Woods was bulletproof once Jared Goff had to take over the full load of the offense when Todd Gurley went down to injury. It's all about roster construction in my mind and personal preference. I'd personally rather lock Cup into my flex spot and put that extra $10 plus I'm saving by not paying up for Brandon Cooks towards my other top two wide receiver spots to try to lock in a Tyreek Hill, DeAndre Hopkins, Wombo combo on the top end. Now, you might be thinking, dang, he got us with that clickbait teaser on Twitter saying Amari Cooper and Dante Pettis were his stay-away guys, and he hasn't talked a lick on either yet. Well... The key is that hopefully I've whet your appetite enough and you've listened to my other guys first and are now here as we speak. Welcome. Full on disclaimer here, I think Amari Cooper is quite likely to finish as a wide receiver one this year. I'd even venture to say it's probably 70-30 in favor of that outcome. However, where I can't and haven't been able to get on board with this hype train is in the how he will get to that wide receiver one finish. For the eight games that Amari Cooper explodes on your roster and all you Amari Cooper truthers come to his defense on my Twitter page, I'll be firing right back during those other eight games where he poops on your team and ruins your week. To prove my point, let's throw it all the way back to 2015, Amari's first year in the league, which was quite impressive actually. He posted a 72-catch, 1,070-yard, and six-touchdown season. Great numbers for a rookie and busted, which I denote as 10 or fewer fantasy points in a .5 PPR setting, seven times. Not bad, not bad. Next year, 2016, the Raiders' banner year where Derek Carr pulled the old oop to you and all the Raiders and set the league on fire with an MVP race bid and became one of the most overpaid players the NFL has seen to date, this is where we start to get into trouble now. Cooper posted an 83-catch, 1,153-yard, and 5-touchdown season, which looks really good on paper, but throw in the fact that he dropped the load on your fantasy team 8 times in 16 games played, you might not be singing his praises like you'd think. He racked up exactly 50% of his total yards in only 4 weeks, and in those same 4 weeks, 40% of his total receptions on the year came in tow as well. Sure, those four weeks were rather monster weeks of 18.7, 24.8, 17.9, 29.3 fantasy points, but the other 11 games, when you're trying to ride that lightning, you got burnt. 
especially since those monster games stopped after week 8. So come time when you're trying to make your playoff push, he disappeared when Gotham needed him most. 2017 was much the same to maybe even worse as Cooper only played in 14 games and ended up tallying 47% of his 680 yard season in just two games that year. I mean, his first game that he hit on against Kansas City was all the way in week seven where he racked up 11 catches for 210 yards and two touchdowns, which was spicy enough for a 38.5 fantasy points but if you had Amari Cooper in your lineup after posting games of 1.1, 1.9, 1.3, and 5.3 the four weeks leading up to that game, wow. You must have a death wish or you really just don't like to set up your lineup each week. That is calling your shot and holy crap, you need to come to Vegas with me. How did Cooper award those like uh, three owners, Maso Menos, that for whatever reason felt the need to start him that week? How about a hot 7.7 .7 fantasy point game the very next week? Now, I can go on about his time in Oakland to start the 2018 season and oh lord, how bad it was, but I won't because he was jettisoned from the Oakland, Los Angeles, San Diego, Santa Clara, Las Vegas Raiders and he found his way into the heart of Texas before their bye week. Amari was traded and got to spend two weeks on bye essentially, well three really as that last game as a Raider he put up a nice fat goose egg. But anyways, Cooper got two formal bye weeks to get up to speed with the Dallas Cowboys offense. Granted it was still a short amount of time by all means to get through the Jason Garrett playbook, but how complicated could that be? It's probably just pictures of himself clapping on the sideline. His first two games as a cowboy they fed him the ball like you should to a guy that you just spent a first round pick on and he awarded those early buyers with 14.3 and 10.5 fantasy point performances. However, oof, next week the first speed bump was hit with a 5.1 fantasy point performance against Atlanta which by that point should have been a lock for a boom game with the Falcons secondary being depleted, but I digress. Those Amari Cooper truthers were awarded a golden apple the very next week though with a 34 point game against the Redskins. The next week he took a fair tumble from the mountaintop scoring only 9.1 fantasy points. But then, the next week, against the Eagles he ascended to the fantasy mountaintop on board his own personal boomerang with a 44.7 fantasy point banger. By this point I know a ton of fantasy players were thinking that they had struck gold with Cooper and he proceeded to lead them to the promised land in the fantasy football playoffs, if you got there in the first place. Not all stories have happy endings though, as the mountaintop Amari Cooper ascended to crumbled with an oof 6.3 game and an ouchers 4.0 game those next two weeks. Tossed in a 3.6 game against the Giants for all of you loser faces that play in week 17 and you got a bust rate of exactly 50% with two meh games thrown on top for his time in Dallas for 2018. Yes, I hear you. I can sense the froth and foam building in you Amari Cooper Trooper Truthers mouths. Amari easily can put up those 20 to 30 point plus Thanos sized games, but just like the blip it's a 50-50 hit rate. I'm all for Amari Cooper if you can lock him in as your flex option, but that's a $30 flex option that will disappear half the weeks. I'm 100% fine and dandy if all of a sudden Cooper becomes an every week guy and finishes as a top 8 wide receiver, but it will just have to be for another team in my fantasy league I think. 
if you're wanting me to lock in Cooper as a sure bet weekly starter in my wide receiver two spot who has a career 59% catch rate paired up with the supposedly delusional $40 million man in Dak Prescott who is coming off a season with a 58.6 QBR in an unquestioned run first offense, I'll pass. You do have Kellen Moore's new hyped up offense that is spreading the ball everywhere all over the place for this coming year, but I'm not fully buying into it. Offensive coordinators in the NFL usually don't succeed until their second year in the league, so I'll be waiting. Again, come on. Don't let Amari do this to you. You're better than that. If there's one thing I value in fantasy, it's consistency. Don't roll the lotto every single week. Instead, get yourself a T.Y. Hilton, Stefan Diggs, Kenny Galladay, or the aforementioned Cooper Cup as your wide receiver too at that same price range as Amari Cooper. Oh, and it's also been reported that Amari Cooper has a plantar fasciitis and has missed the last week of training camp, but still should be okay to the regular season. But anyways, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. For our final guy today, we will now jump on the recent shift in the Dante Pettis bandwagon, or anti-bandwagon actually. The talk about 49ers cap is that Dante Pettis hasn't fully entrenched himself as the unquestioned wide receiver one in that offense, like I'm sure he and the 49ers brass had hoped. Supposedly, word is, is that he hasn't really made too many big plays when he's been given opportunities in camp. Every team in the NFL is willing and able to throw as many hype pieces behind their players as they can at this point in the season, so that's why if they come out and say something negative about a guy, you should take notice, as with Dante Pettis. A month ago, everyone and their sweet old grandma was banging the drum for Pettis as hard as they could, and now since these news stories have come out, everyone is going, uh, yeah, I told you so, he's just too raw, what a bum, blah 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 blah. Not to say I'm the Dante Pettis hater hipster or anything, but I've been doing it before all of you thought it was cool. Where some people are pivoting towards the dark side, I've pretty much been on the negative side of Pettis this whole time. You could say I was born to the darkness. Molded by it, perhaps. These recent stories have really only gone to even further solidify my position. So, why have I always been since the beginning of time hesitant to buy into Pettis in the first place? Well, let me lay them facts on ya. I'll start off by saying that yes, Pettis does look like to be a good NFL player. He's athletic and has the body type to be something special in this league. However, to set him at a $20-plus price tag player in $200 budget leagues like it was projecting like he was heading towards earlier in the offseason was ludicrous in my mind. I'm all for calling your shots in fantasy, but planting a wide receiver 2 flag in a guy who only has 27 career catches and only flashed in a 4-week span last year... That's just a little too sweet for my glucose imperative blood. I will also point out that two of his four games he went off in were against the same team in the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, maybe he does improve his numbers in his second year with Jimmy GG Too Easy back at the helm, but I can see that whole offense going through a bit of growing pains in 2019. Outside of George Kittle, that is. Kittle is undoubtedly going to be the number one in that offense target-wise, and in my heart. And then behind him, with the addition of Debo Samuel and Hakeem Butler, that second or third spot in targets is pretty much up for grabs. Throw in Marquise Goodwin, who is still alive, but maybe not well, and Pettis' standing in that offense is shaky at best. I will say that if I had to choose from the wide receiver room who that second guy in targets will be, I'll throw it 60-40 in Pettis' way over Goodwin, but even then I'm not too sure. Again, 
That four game sample size of Pettis exploding that every truther likes to point to was really only a boom game of 27.2 fantasy points and then three other decent games of 15.7, 12.4, and 10.8. As with all these players, I'm not here to yuck your yums, but I only think Pettis will have a good, but not great season, and will finally live up to the lofty expectations owners are putting on him in that 2020 season for that proverbial third-year wide receiver breakout. I think we're all jumping the gun a year too early for redraft purposes, at least. For Dynasty purposes, yes, I'll spend the 20 plus dollars on him, but this 49ers offense needs to do some moving and shaking and figure out who's getting what. It is of note that yes, Jimmy G will be a better option at quarterback than CJ Beathard and Nick Mullins, but the handsome one hasn't started more than five games on a season. Now, of course, that season he started five games was in 2017 when he went 5-0 for the Niners after being traded away from the Patriots but I'm mostly just saying that he hasn't fully done it over the course of a 16-game season. Going off of the fantasy footballer's reception perception data, as they explained, Pettis has run a wide variety of routes in the NFL and succeeds on some, but doesn't on others. From their data, while he shows promise, it could be difficult in the end to project just how successful he will be in the NFL. He does pretty well against man and zone defenses, but really does struggle against the press, which could be his Achilles heel if he doesn't develop that part of his game as the unquestioned one in San Francisco that people were putting him up to be earlier in this offseason. If you're now looking for a player to plant your flag in as a year two breakout instead of Pettis, I'd rather look to Christian Kirk from the Arizona Cardinals who flashed as well last season, but did it more over the course of the year and was in a far worse situation in my mind. And alrighty then, I will close the episode out there. I have a very exciting announcement to make before we go here though. More hype for me than probably you guys listening at home, uh, but my friend Cameron who has been helping me out here and there with this fantasy stuff and provided articles for us all last year as well as recorded a few uh, episodes with me last week during the NFL season is flying into Lillo, Fargo, North Dakota this Friday and will be at my lake over the weekend. We plan on recording a My Guys episode and we'll talk about our fantasy teams from our most recent draft. It should be a hot episode, and we'll clock in probably around an hour to maybe even two hours, um, but be on the lookout for that episode. Might release mm, sometime Saturday, I'm thinking, um, but either way, I hope you all take a look at it. I haven't seen Cameron in person since we studied abroad in Ireland together two years back, so I'm excited for this weekend. I whooped up on him in fantasy all of last year, so there's going to be plenty of schmack to be made of it. But, uh, yeah, remember to follow us on Twitter, at FantasyGoobers, and it would touch the bottom of my sweet little heart if you left a rating wherever you're listening in on. Have a great rest of the day, Goober Nation. Cue the outro. Outro.